I know a lot of people that are incredibly what you and I would probably call successful, but are miserable. Don't have the things that, that, that are important in life. They don't have good, solid relationships. My name is Hannah Herbst, and I welcome you to another episode of Reaching Your Goals. Depending on the day, I either wear the hat of a certified leadership and career coach or a management consultant, and I have an MBA from NYU Stern School of Business. Reaching Your Goals is a career-focused podcast where I sit down with inspiring individuals and we talk about business, career, and leadership topics to give you the insights to get one step closer to living a fulfilled professional life. My mission is simple, to inspire you to reach your goals, lead with kindness, and have some fun along the way. For episode 11, my guest is Terry Tucker. Terry has been on a cancer journey for the past 10 years this journey triggered him to focus on the healthy aspects of being sick by concentrating on his four truths to help others lead the uncommon and extraordinary lives. We will find out what these four truths are and how they translate to a business context. I found this conversation rather inspirational and I'm curious to hear from you about your key takeaways. You can tag me at Delegate or Reaching Your Goals podcast or send me a message at hannahadelegate.com. Before we get started, let me share a few more words about Terry. Terry is a former NCAA Division I basketball player, SWAT team hostage negotiator, and author of Sustainable Excellence, 10 Principles to Leading Your Uncommon and Extraordinary Life. Terry lives with his wife in Denver in the US. With that, let's get started. Terry, it's wonderful to see you again. How are you doing today? I am great, Hannah. Thanks for having me on. And to get things started, I would like to ask you a few rapid-fire questions, short questions, short answers. Are you ready? Am Imagine you could have a, any dish right now. What would it be and where would you have it? I'd probably have Vito and Nick's Pizza, 83rd and Pulaski. Ah, Chicago, nice. Illinois. I see a big smile on your face. I know that you played in the NCAA Division I basketball. What value did sports teach you? I think one of the big things team sports specifically taught me, and I started playing basketball since I was nine and I played all the way up till I was 21, is the importance of being part of something that's bigger than yourself. You've invented yourself frequently over your professional career. What was the most uncommon job that you ever held? I was a SWAT team hostage negotiator. Uh, when I was a police officer. It's usually not something that your next door neighbor is, and there's not a lot of us. It was just a great opportunity. What was the scariest, most dangerous situation that you were ever in? You know, for us as negotiators, we weren't, you know, sometimes we were blocks away talking on the phone with somebody. We ourselves were not necessarily in danger, but, you know, there were a bunch of other officers that had surrounded the location. One of my really good friends got shot at it. Mm. It hit him in his helmet, you know, and it kind of skipped off his helmet. You understood that th this wasn't just going out and talking to somebody. This was somebody in crisis, and you were doing everything you can to help them with the understanding that at the end of the day, it's their decision on whether they want to come out 
or sometimes people actually took their own lives. You know what? I'm not going back to jail. I'm not going back to prison. But again, yeah. that was their choice, and we did everything we could get them out. Who is one of your role models? Well, I, I think my parents, you know, starting off. I mean, my, my, my story is not one where, you know, my dad was an alcoholic and beat my mother. It was just the opposite. I mean, my parents cared for us. They showed us the importance of loving each other, caring for each other, supporting each other. You know, that's what a family is all about. And my mom and dad did what I used to call divide and conquer parenting. I would have a game on a night at this time, this location, and dad would go to that. And my brother would have, you know, a practice at the same time in another location. And my mom would go to that. They were always supporting us and always being there for us. So it would nice. absolutely be my parents. And what is the last book that you read? Last book that I read? Boy, that's a good question. I am one of these people that's in like five <laughs> books at a time. You know, I mean, if you look at my nightstand, and I, I don't remember what the last one was. I'm reading a book now called Cured is about people that have miraculous or spontaneous healing from life-threatening cancers or heart, whatever it ends up being in their life where they tell you to go home and die and 20 years yeah. later, you're still, you're, you're sticking and doing your thing. So that's a book I'm reading right now. I honestly can't remember the last <laughs> one that I finished. So sorry about that. Say, so how will your friends and family describe you in one word? Resilient. You want to say more? No, I'll, I'll leave it at that. What does success mean to you? Best definition I ever heard of success was when I was a teenager, and it was from a basketball coach at the University of California at Los Angeles, and I'll give it it's this. Success is peace of mind, which is a direct result of self-satisfaction in knowing that you did the best to become the best that you're capable of becoming. I've never heard a better definition. I love that definition, so... That's definition wow. of success as well. I like it as well. I might steal that one. Feel free. Absolutely. What's the most important quality in a leader? Character. I, I think character encompasses integrity, courage, caring about other people. I think it encompasses everything, not just necessarily in a leader, but I think in all. And what do you prefer, emails or phone calls? I like talking to people, so I, I don't like emails. I, I was a hostage negotiator. They used to talk to us about what they called the 73855 principle, which said that when you were trying to convey a message, 7% of it is the words that you use. 38% of it was your tone of voice, and 55% of it was your body language and facial expression. Not good at doing that because I talked to a lot of people that were in crisis over the phone. So kind of listening to either what was it being said or how it was being said and trying to yeah. delve into that a little bit more. So I, I can't stand emails and things like that. I, I use them all the time, but I would much rather have a yes. conversation. What's the best advice you've been given in your personal or professional life? Listen more than you talk. And I talk a lot. It's a hard thing for me to do. Again, I think it goes back to being a negotiator. It was so much about listening to understand as opposed to listening to respond. And we're all real good at, you know, Hannah, hurry up, say what you're going to say, because I want to I say what I want to say. That's just listening to respond as opposed to, oh, Hannah, I, I hear what you're saying. I may agree with you. I may not agree with you, but help me to understand where you're coming from. That's creating a dialogue. That's creating a connection. That's you and I relating as human beings, not, you know, yes. like, here, here's an email, you know, things like that. 
What is one thing that we cannot Google about you? If you Google me, you probably would would not find out that I had the opportunity to play against Michael Jordan, Ooh. one of the greatest basketball players, if not the greatest basketball player of all time, when he was a freshman in college and I was a senior in college. Was he already that good back then? No, he, he was just kind of coming into his own. It was the year that his college team, the University of North Carolina, won the national championship. They were the best college team in the United States. And he was a freshman on a team of some really good players. You could just tell he was special, but he wasn't the Michael Jordan that we wow. all know and love today. That's such a cool story. And now I'm ready to get to know you better and to deep dive in. Would you mind sharing with us the key milestones that led you to where you are today? Yeah, I grew up on the south side of Chicago. I'm the oldest of three boys. You can't tell this from looking at me or from my voice, but I'm six foot eight inches tall. And I, I played basketball. And you mentioned I played Division I college basketball. And that's the highest level here in the United States uh, at a small military college in South Carolina. When I graduated from college, I moved home to find a job. I was actually the first person in my family to graduate from college. And all, all my brothers have graduated from college and all my brothers and I have master's degrees as well. So my parents are pretty proud of us. And so I moved home to find a job. And this was a time long before the internet was available to help people find employment. So finally, I found that first job in the corporate headquarters in the marketing department of Wendy's International, the hamburger chain. And unfortunately, I lived with my parents for the next three and a half years as I helped my mother care for my father and my grandmother, who were both dying of different forms of cancer. Professionally, as I said, started out in marketing at Wendy's, became a hospital administrator after that, and then made that major pivot in my life where I became a police officer. I was also, in addition to be a SWAT team hostage negotiator, I was also an undercover drug investigator, narcotics investigator. And I know you're gonna laugh at that. You know, you're six, how could you possibly have done wow. that? But I did. After that, my law enforcement career ended. I became a, a school security consultant, started my own business, coached girls high school basketball, became an author in 2020. And then for the last, I guess, almost 11 years now, I've been dealing with this very rare form of cancer. And then finally, my wife and I have been married for almost 30 years. We have one child, a daughter, who's a graduate of the United States Air Force Academy and is an officer in the new branch of the military, wow. the Space Force. Thank you for sharing. And it's like also in your story, I get a sense that discipline plays a big role. Yeah, discipline plays a huge role. And it always has. If you want to be the best, you have to discipline yourself. I talk about motivation a lot. But motivation, in my opinion, is not enough. Motivation is kind of what I call the sort of lighting the fuse. But if you just have motivation, that fuse is going to burn out. You need to have the discipline and the good habits to go with that. So if you have motivation, discipline, and you have good habits, there's almost nothing you can't accomplish. But if you're missing any of those three things, then it's awful hard to do it. I mean, if you're motivated and have great habits, but you're not disciplined, very hard to do it. You know, if you're motivated and disciplined, but had terrible habits, very hard to do what you want to do. So I think you need all three of those. I think those kind of like a three-legged stool. You have to have all three legs and they all have to be in good working order. You know, if one of them's short or one of them's, you know, kind of, you know, you're rocking around and bouncing around on a stool, it's not going to do you a whole lot of good. You also mentioned good habits. 
What are the habits that you have and what helps you to really stick to them? You know, I, I have a lot of things. I am a creature of habit. One of the problems, at least I experience, and I'm sure there's people listening to us that do as well, is the importance of focusing on one thing at a time. You know, I find myself doing this, and I say this to myself all the time, and it's, it's little things. It's like, okay, I'm sending an email, and it's like, wait a minute, I got to remember to do that. You know, and so I'm over here writing a note, and I, I, mean, I mean things at the same time, which is, you know, I, I told you I was in like five books at the same time. Obviously, I'm not learning this lesson very well. Focus on what you're doing right now. Finish that. Get the task done, and then move on to something else. Because if you start to sort of divide your attention from things that you're working on, you're not giving whatever that is 100% of your attention. I'm not good enough to, to be able to be in several different places at the same time. I need to focus Actually, on I think what I'm nobody doing. is good enough and for then, I mean, some people are. I've seen some people multitask and I'm like, oh my gosh, I wish I could do that. I am not good at that. I constantly remind myself, no, Terry, just stick to what you're doing, finish this, and then go over here and work on that. Don't have your hands in, in too many different pots. And it's a lesson I am still learning. Really focus on one thing. And even if your phone is somewhere close by, don't look at it every five seconds. That's what I'm hearing. Yeah, and don't answer it. I mean, the phone's ringing. Okay, I'm working on this right now. Unless yes. it's an emergency. Yeah, fine, go ahead and answer it. But, you know, I, I mean, the phone's ringing. And, oh, somebody sent me an email. And, oh, wait a minute, I'm going to stop this and answer that email. I mean, like, all right, I'm concentrating on this right now. I want to give that 100% because I want this to be right. I'm amazed at the people who claim that they never have enough time, and yet they're willing to produce substandard work, and then somehow they find the time to go back and correct that. Well, why not get it right the first time so that I don't have to go back and correct that? And I think a lot of that has to do with attention to detail and focusing on what you're doing right now and not saying, oh, I'm going to answer my phone or I'm going to answer that email or I'm going to write this note, whatever it is. Focus on what you're doing, give it your undivided attention, and then move on. When we were meeting the very first time, I got the sense that purpose plays a big, big role for you in your life. Would you mind sharing what your purpose is? I believe I've had multiple purposes, and I talk a lot about you know people finding their purpose. And I think that that's incredibly important. I think it's probably more important. Yeah. Victor Frankl, a psychiatrist and a concentration camp survivor, used to talk how important it was that all of us have a purpose, all of us have a reason that we're on the face of this earth, and it's incumbent upon us to find that reason and to live it, and not just kind of live a, you know, sort of a casual life and see kind of what happens, but to actually find that purpose and live it. So I look back on my life and think that, well, you know, when I was young, my purpose, at least this is the way I felt, was sports, with athletics. I was, you know, I was a good basketball player, and so I spent a lot of time doing that. And then as I became an adult, I felt my purpose, even though I had jobs in the business sector, I really felt my purpose was to be a police officer, was to be in law enforcement. And so, you know, my purpose shifted or changed. And now as, you know, I've got cancer and, and I'm, I'm likely coming to the end of my life, my purpose has changed again. Put as much goodness, as much positivity, as much motivation, as much love back into the world as I possibly can. I know a lot of people think that my purpose has to align with my job or my occupation. And I would like to say that it doesn't. Your job could be something over here that you do to pay the bills, but your purpose is to, or to be a podcast, or to be a consultant, or whatever it is. I always tell this, especially to young people. If there's something in your heart, 
something in your soul that you believe you're supposed to do, but it scares you, go ahead and do it. Because at the end of your life, the things that you're going to regret are not going to be the things you did. They're going to be the things you didn't do. And by then it's going to be too late to go back and do it. It's very true. And also is one thing that I really liked what you said is our job doesn't need to be the place where we find the fulfillment and really can live our purpose. What I believe is if we find an activity that allows us to live in our purpose every single day, our batteries will be charged. And that could be a hobby on the side, something where we put in effort outside of working hours. Yeah, and very few people understand that. If your purpose can align with your job or your occupation, that's great. If that happens, good for you. But don't feel that it has to. I, I guess is, is, all, is all I meant by that. Like you said, you know, if you find something outside of yes. work that fulfills you, that you know, you can't wait to get up in the morning and go do or whatever it is, then that's probably your purpose. And, it, and it's okay if you can't monetize it right now. Maybe down the road, you will be able to monetize it and it will, it will turn out to be your, your occupation or your job or something like that. But Again, listen to your heart. You know, I, I've always been a big proponent of that. We have everything we need to be successful in life already inside us. And, and we spend so much time, you know, I got to have you know, a therapist or I've got to have a coach or I've got to, you know, read all these. I've got to become. Oh, you need coaches. You, you, you know, no, but you're absolutely right. I'm, but what I also learned with purpose is that many people, they don't really know. And you were saying your purpose now is to put positiveness and love back into the world. So that is very concrete. How did you find that? Was there any exercise you did? In all honesty, I think getting sick, I think getting cancer focused me on what was important in life. I'll explain it this way. I think a lot of times we feel like we are born empty. And, you know, we live our life, we got a high school or a college or a grad school or the army or whatever we end up doing, and we kind of get into life. And being empty, we feel we need to fill ourselves up. You know, I've, I've got to get a good job. I've got to make a lot of money. I've got to drive a nice car. Got, we consume, we do stuff to, to fill ourselves up. And what I've come to understand, at least in my life, is that it's just the opposite. We're not born empty. We're born full. And our job is to empty ourselves out for the betterment of ourselves, our family, our colleagues, our friends, our God, whatever you believe that to be. And that's our job. It's not to consume. It's not to fill ourselves up. It's to empty ourselves out. And, and so many people just feel like, you know, I've got to, I got to do all this stuff. And if I, if I have a lot of money and if I drive a nice car, I know a lot of people that are incredibly what you and I would probably call successful, but are miserable. Don't have the things that, that, that are important in life. They don't have good, solid relationships. I read somewhere that the vast majority of people on the face of this planet do not have at least one person that they can be radically yeah, honest with. Think about that. Think about that. You don't have one person in our lives that we can be radically honest with, that we can just lay ourselves open and say, you know, here's my problem right now, or here's, here's where I'm having a tough day. And at the same time, you might have a thousand friends on social media, so that is so messed up. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I've got 17,000 followers on LinkedIn, 
And yes, I try to connect with him. I, I always wish him a happy birthday and congratulations on the new job and the promotion and all that stuff. But none of those people I feel I'm radically honest with or that they're radically honest with me. So you're absolutely right. I mean, we can have all the people in the world around us, but who can you be honest with? Who are you close enough to? And those are the things that matter. Those are the things at the end of the day. I mean, we've all heard the, the saying, that at the end of our lives, nobody says, gee, I wish I'd spent more time at the office. You know, I wish I spent more time with my colleagues. No, I wish I'd spent more time with the people that, that I love, that I care about. And I get on here and I talk about love and stuff like that. I'm not talking about romantic love. I'm just talking about passion for something that, that you do. I, I remember hearing a phrase, don't follow your passion, but bring it with you mm. everywhere you go. Be passionate about life, about the things that matter in your life. And I'm not telling you not to chase success. There's nothing wrong with chasing success. But there's another word that I think begins with S that's, that's also more, probably more important than success, and that's significance. You know, success is what we do for ourselves. Significance is what we do for other people. I'm a significant person in other individuals' lives. So think about that. And, you know, maybe it works for you. Maybe so what has significance for you then? Family. My family is incredibly important to me. My, my friends, I think one of the things that, that I've learned through this cancer journey is the people that I thought were going to be there for me during this dark and ugly time, several of them aren't here, can't deal with the fact that, that I've had cancer and I've had yeah. amputations and all like that, and, you know, that I planned my funeral and things like that. Those conversations come up. Those people bail. They get out. It's like, no, I can't deal with that. And then the people who I never thought would be there for me somehow have come to the forefront and are, are there, are here to support me, that call me and, you know, how are things going and stuff like that. So, like I said, I just expected certain people to be there for me. You put those expectations on other people, a lot of times they can't deliver on that. You shouldn't put those expectations on it. If they want to be there, that's great. But you can't force somebody to be part of your life. I don't care how much you want them in your life. They don't want to be part of your life. You can't force them. You can't make them be part of that life. And so you, you just have to move on and, and other people to support you, other people that you can be radically honest. And you also mentioned your learnings from your cancer journey. I know that you have four truths. Would you mind sharing what those four truths are? Sure. So all of my four truths, I mean, they're, they're not mine. I, you know, they're not copyrighted. And I, I don't think you can own a truth. You know, a truth is universal. It, it's available to anybody. I sort of call them the bedrock mm -hmm. of my soul. They're just a good place, I think, to build a quality life up. And I have them here on my, my desk. They're one, they're one sentence. I have them on a post-it note. So the first one is control your mind or your mind is going to control you. The second one is embrace the pain and the difficulty that we all experience in life and use that pain and difficulty to make you a stronger and more resilient individual. The third one I look at kind of as, I guess, a legacy type of truth, and it's this. What you leave behind is what you weave in the hearts of other people. And then the last one is, as long as you don't quit, you can never be defeated. Seth, you have those four on a post-it in front of you. What do those four statements mean to you? They are things that I just come to appreciate, like the second one, in terms of, 
you know, embrace the pain and the difficulty that we all experience in life. The way I look at that one is our brains are hardwired to avoid pain and discomfort and to seek pleasure. So to the brain, the status quo, the way things are right now, it's comfortable and familiar. It should just be left alone. Problem with that is the only way we're going to grow, the only way we're going to improve, the only way we're going to get better is if we step outside those comfort zones and do things that make us uncomfortable. So I do this every day and I recommend this to everybody. Every day of your life, do one thing that makes you nervous, that scares you, that makes you uncomfortable, that is potentially embarrassing. It doesn't have to be a big thing. It be something small every day. It's like, you know, I'm really tired, but I'm going to get up an, early, an hour earlier tomorrow to read or journal or meditate or work out or whatever you're going to do, you know, whatever you decide. You know, no big deal. I'm going to get up an hour earlier. It's a little bit uncomfortable. If you do those little things, when the big disasters in life hit us, and they hit all of us, we lose somebody who's close to us, we get let go from our job, we find out we have a chronic or a terminal illness, you'll be so much more resilient. You'll be so much more capable of handling those difficult things than people who don't challenge themselves every day, than people who don't do things that make themselves uncomfortable. When I was coaching high school basketball, I used to constantly remind my players, you need to become comfortable with being uncomfortable. So, you know, the things that instead of running from pain, do just the opposite. Take that pain, take that difficulty, take that ugliness and flip it inside of you. Burn it as fuel, use it as energy to make you a stronger and more determined individual. And I know some people will be like, oh yeah, sure, Terry, you could do that, but I can never do that. Trust me. I am the biggest wimp in the world. What's the uncomfortable thing of the day? I had to get up. I did. I got up and that's why I used it. I got up an hour early the, this morning because I knew I was going to do this with you and I had some other things that I needed to finish from yesterday. So it's like, you know, I'm kind of tired. I had treatment week before last and so I'm still recovering from my cancer treatment. And But it's like, all right, it's going to be a little uncomfortable, but I'm going to do that. I mean, you have to figure out in your own mind you know, what that thing is that makes you uncomfortable that you don't want to do. And, and that's the key. What don't you want to do? So if I, for example, I don't like speaking up in a meeting and I force myself, oh, in this meeting, I need to raise my hand twice and really share what I'm thinking. That would be an example, right? Yeah, that'd be an example. I don't like to meet new people. Well, you know what? I'm going to go to the office today. I'm going to go to somebody else's department. I'm going to say, hey, I'm Terry. How you doing? You know, you got a minute. You want to have a cup of coffee? Do things that take you outside your comfort zones. And like I said, when the big yeah. disasters in life, you'll be so much more resilient to handle those things than the people who, nope, I like my comfort zones, not getting out of it. It's, it's comfortable, it's familiar, and I'm staying right here. First one of those statements is control your mind. I think that is also then going back to <laughs> quieting the doubts that we have in our mind so that you are the one driving. Yeah, absolutely. You know, people used to ask me of the four truths, is there one that's more important than the other? And I used to say no. But the more I've kind of thought about it and read and, and educated myself, I really think that first one, the one you just said about controlling your mind or your mind is going to control you is the most important. And here's why I feel that way. Whether we like to admit it or not, we all talk to ourselves. And I always tell people to be very careful with that, with that talk. Very careful with what you're saying to yourself. And here's why. And I'll, I'll give a basketball example. 
if I took a basketball and I went out onto the basketball court and I went to the free throw line and I started to shoot free throws, there would be a certain part of my brain that engaged that if we could look at it under an MRI, that would light up. If I thought about taking that basketball, going out onto that court and shooting those free throws, that exact same part of my brain would engage. So be very careful what you tell yourself because we all become what we think. If you're taking an algebra class, for example, and you go into the class, you're like, oh, math is hard and I'm not very good at math and I'm not gonna do good. Yes. If you keep telling yourself that over and over and over again, you are not gonna do good in that class because you're hardwiring your brain to say, you know, Terry's terrible at algebra. There's no way we're gonna do good in this class. Do just the opposite. Be realistic. I know algebra is hard for me, but I'm going to work hard. I'm going to do the homework. I'm going to get help when I need it. And I'm going to get a good grade on this class. If you say that over and over and over again, you're hardwiring your brain for something good to happen to yourself. Don't get all excited when, oh, that's a negative thought. Oh my gosh. No, it's okay. Realize that's a negative thought and change it to something more positive. And over time, your brain will come to expect more positive thoughts, do you see the glass as half full or do you see the glass as half empty? And a lot of times during my life, I saw the glass as half empty and I realized I had to change my perception. I had to change what was going on in my mind to see it as half full. And I'll, I'll let this with one more story. When I was playing basketball in high school, there was a coach at the University of Indiana who had this quote that went like this, mental is to physical, as four is to one. So here's this great coach teaching elite athletes to use their bodies to be great basketball players on the court. But what he was really saying with that quote is that your mind or your mindset is four times more important than anything that your physical body yes. is going to do. Thank you so much for sharing that. I, I like the picture. You also have what you leave behind. And as long as you don't quit, you cannot be defeated. I have the feeling sometimes quitting is the right choice. Like there are situations, say you are stuck in a negative work environment, everything is toxic. Sometimes it's best to go. Like in a sense, quitting, I feel, is recommended here and there. I agree with you. I mean, there are times when things are toxic, when things are bad, that you need to move on. And, and I don't look at that as quitting. I just look at that as doing something that's better for you. Quitting is... And I guess I'll use this example, you know, especially here in the United States, we, we start down the road toward a goal and then we butt up against an impediment. Something gets in our way and, and we can't get over it. We can't get around it. We can't get through it. And we quit. We give up. And we just don't give up. Now we got to blame somebody. You know, we got to blame our parents or we got to blame our boss or we got to blame our station in life. Very few people take personal responsibility for their own success and happiness. And I think that's incredibly important. That's, you know, quitting is, I give up. We're all going to lose from time to time in life, but you're not a loser unless you don't learn from what, what happened to you. And so many people, if they can take something positive away, I remember Nelson yeah. Mandela, the prime minister of South Africa, the president of South Africa, used to have a quote that went, I never lose. I either learn or I win. And if you keep that in mind, I, I, yes, I'm, I'm in this company. It's a dead end job. I'm not going anywhere. 
you know what? I'm going to reach out and see if maybe I can move to another. That's not quitting. That's improving. That's, you know, can I take my skills, my goals, whatever, and move on? Quitting is when you give up. It's like, no, I'm not going to, I'm not going to do this anymore. And so many people do that. So many people live a casual life. And as a result, their goals, their dreams, their ambitions become a casualty of that unplanned living. So I never want to quit. I, I'm going to always constantly be improving, learning, winning, whatever you want to call it. When I asked you for the most important quality in a leader, you mentioned character. So now that was the word that was popping up in my mind. It's like you were not, again, describing the importance of character and really sticking to your plans and walking the talk. I'm going to talk rugby here, which I know nothing about. But they're, they're, one of the best books that I ever read was, was called Legacy. It's written by a man that, by the name of James Kerr. And he embedded for a while with the New Zealand national rugby team, who by most accounts is probably the most successful sports franchise in any sport in any country of all times. And he talked about the two things that they're called the all blacks because their uniforms are all black. And the all blacks are looking to bring somebody into their organization, whether it's a player or a coach or whatever. They look for two things in particular. One is character. What kind of person are you? How do you handle loss? Do you home and kick the dog? Or do you learn from it and are able to apply it to making you and the team better? And the other thing they look for is humility. And I think back on my business career where, you know, I was going for a job interview and I researched the company. I researched the people that I was going to be working with. I researched the person I'd be working for, but I still was nervous or uncomfortable because I felt like I better have the answers to all of their questions or there's a good chance I might not get this job. What the all blacks is as part of humility We don't expect you as an individual to have all the answers, but we expect you as an individual to come together and be part of our team to operate in a team environment where we all come together with the understanding that everybody's voice, everybody's opinion, everybody's thoughts are given equal weight. So the guy at the end of the bench that never gets into the game has the same say, the same ability to express his or her opinion as the star, you know, the captain of the team and all that stuff. And, and that's how they solve problems. They don't solve them as an individual. They solve them collectively as and a team. You just mentioned your business career. When you look at all the learnings from the past 10 years, what is one thing that you wish you had known when you were still pushing your business career? It's a great question. One of the things I wish I would have learned is to be able to control what we can control. If you can control the things that you have control over in your life, then you're going to be a whole lot further down the road to reaching your goals than people who think, I can't do this. This is, you know, control what you can control and you'll be much more successful and you'll be much happier and you'll be much more content. We're not, you know, locked up. We're not in leg irons and we have a lot more things to control. But I used to tell my players when I was a basketball coach, Remember, you know, the only things you have control over out, out there during the game is your attitude and your effort. Can't control the referees. You can't control the other team. You, you control your other players. You can control your attitude and your effort. And if you realize that, then the game is not, you're not, oh, I missed the shot, you know, and you're given all these 
facial expression, again, body language. What what's it say? Yeah, you know, yeah. seven thirty-five or thirty-eight fifty-five. Body language. That's how you're expressing yourself. I'm frustrated. No, don't be frustrated with your teammate. You can't control them. Move on to what you can control. So what can you actually control in a business context? Can control it, your, your attitude. You can control the effort that you put forward. You can't control other people. You can't control how they react. You can control your thoughts. You can control how you present yourself. You know, you can control things like that. It was one of the things as a hostage negotiator, if you use negotiating skills, you know, with people, smile. Because if you can relate to people, if you and I are, are trying to work out a negotiation or a contract or something, and we're negotiating as human beings, you know, I'm relating to you, you're relating to me, you know, I'm smiling at you, you're smiling, I got to get everything I want. Nobody gets everything they want in a negotiation. It's true. Nobody gets everything they want. You have to understand that you have to compromise in life. And that's something you can control. Can I compromise? What am I willing to compromise on? And what can I absolutely do? And we used to always say as negotiators, no deal is better than a bad deal. When we would negotiate with somebody, somebody would say, you know, I want a pizza or I want a cigarette. And we would be like, okay, we can do that for you. What are you going to give us? Well, what do you mean? Well, what are you going to give me? I'm not going to give you a pizza if you're not going to give me anything. You give me a hostage. Are you going to give me, you know, Smile. bullets out of your gun? Or what are you going to give me? I'm just developing trust. That was one big thing in negotiation. Everything was overarching was trust. Do you trust me? Do I trust you? And we never lied to people. You know, people would say to us, well, I'll come out, but I don't want to go to jail. And we would have to say to them, well, when you come out, you are going to go to jail. And then we would try to deflect the conversation to something more positive. And we never lied to people because there was a good chance, and this happened, where a year from now or two years from now, we would be right back negotiating with that exact same person. And if they felt we lied to them, then we had no credibility. We had no trust with them. And we would have to bring in another negotiator because they'd be like, hey, Tucker, you lied to me. The last time we talked, you lied. Well, my credibility's down the drain. So now we got to bring somebody else in and they've got to try to build up rapport that, you know, that connection. Is there one last advice from your negotiation experience? Because I'm picking up quite a lot. It's like a smile goes a mile. Um, don't lie. It's give and take. Is there anything else? Humanize it. You know, and again, I think that goes back to, you know, we were talking a minute ago. You know, I would start out by saying, hi, I'm Terry. What's your name? And sometimes they would be like, it doesn't matter what my name is. You know, I'm like, okay, what do you want me to call you? You know, call me Joe. Okay, fine. Joe, well, I'm here to make sure that you get out safely. And we would use what and how questions. So by doing that, say, Hannah, you and I are negotiating, and you would say something, and I might say, how am I supposed to do that? Or what got us here today, Hannah? What's going on? We would stay away from why questions, because why questions sound accusatory. You know, why'd you do that, Hannah? Oh, oh wait a minute. Is he accusing me of something? You know, so we would use how and what questions and what how and what questions do without you even realizing it. It engages you to help me get you out safely. So if I say to you, how am I supposed to do that? Now, all of a sudden, your mind is like, well, okay, let me see if I can help him figure out how. See, now I've engaged yes. you to help me get you out safely.
So how and what questions are incredibly important? Stay away Love from it. Thank you. And then I have three more sure. questions for you. First of all, what's coming up next for you? Well, that's a good question. I'm not sure. I'm kind of at a point where health-wise, I don't know where this is going to go. And so I don't know. I'm thinking about writing another book. Again, a, a book, you know, the book I wrote is about success. I think I'd like to write a book about mm. significance, you know, how we can be significant in each other's lives. Just thinking about it, that's, that's kind of something I'm toying with nice. right now. Uh, who else should I invite to the show? Is somebody coming to mind? My publisher is an interesting guy. You might enjoy him. His name's Scott, Scott Silberry. And I said, Scott, you know, every podcast that I've ever been on, I listen to when they come out. And I said, you want to be a better guest. I, I want to have better stories. I want to make the stories tighter. I, I don't want to say um and huh and all that kind of throughout. And he's like, no, Terry, you don't understand. It's, it's not about being good. It's just about not sucking. And I said, well, thanks. Thanks for the title of my next book. You know, Just Don't Suck. That'll be my next book. Yeah, I would like that. No. If you could, but, if you could you do know, that introduction afterwards, that'd be fantastic. I told him, I said, no, that's, that's not what it is for me. And I think in a lot of cases, that's what people feel like. I don't have to give my best. I just have to not suck. And if I don't suck, I still might get the job or I still might get the contract or, or whatever it ends up being. No. That's not the way I look at it. I want to be a better guest so that your podcast is a better podcast and, and you have more success than that. He would be an interesting guy. He, he, and the policeman, his wife, this kind of an interesting story. He was a police chief in Louisiana and a buddy said, hey, would you come out to California and put on a presentation about law enforcement for authors? Because authors want to be able to use police tactics in their book and sound like they know what they're talking about. And he said, yeah, sure, I'll come out and do that. And he does that. He goes out there and ends up meeting his wife. And she's like a 50-time best-selling author. Yeah, she's amazing. And the two of them, they get married. He gets out of law enforcement. And they start a not-for-profit publishing company. And that's who I used to publish my book. Now he's also his own church in Texas. So, I mean, the guy is just... He's amazing. So Scott Silveri is somebody you might Thank want you. to have on your show. And for people who feel very inspired, who would like to hear more from you, how can they stay in touch with you? So I have a blog. It's called Motivational Check. Every day I put up a thought for the day. With that thought usually comes a quote as to maybe how that thought could be applied in your life. I have recommendations for books to read, videos to watch, things like that. You can get access to my social media accounts. You can access to my book there. Everything is a motivational check. I will add that also to the show notes so that we have that handy. And with that, Terry, I'd love to thank you for joining me today and sharing your wisdom. It was super interesting. Thank you so much. Well, Hannah, thanks for having me on. I really thank enjoyed you. talking with you. I hope you enjoyed the episode as much as I did. Terry is inspirational, isn't he? So I'm very curious to hear from you. And as always, if you enjoy the content of this show, please hit the subscribe button wherever you listen to your podcast. This way, you will get the next episode in your inbox when it drops on Tuesday. And if you could tell your friends about the show, that would mean the world to me. Thank you. With that, we are one step closer to reaching your goals. Talk to you guys next week. Bye.